This is listener-supported WFHB, Bloomington, Bedford, Ellettsville, Nashville, Community Radio for South Central Indiana, online at wfhb.org. It's 6.03. It's 50 degrees outside. Looking at probably a fairly clear night. 40 degrees is expected to be the low. Tomorrow, sunny with a high of 63 degrees. Stay tuned. Up next is Bring It On. Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening, I'm William Hosea. Welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning program celebrating over 11 years as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting African Americans. And good evening, I'm Amrita Myers, and in today's broadcast, you'll also hear our perspective on what's relevant in the African American world of news and local events of interest, all in the next hour on Bring It On. First up, Students for a Democratic Society, SDS, was a student activist movement in the U.S. that was one of the main representations of the New Left. The organization developed and expanded rapidly in the mid-1960s before dissolving at its last convention in 1969. SDS has been an important influence on student organizing in the decades since its collapse. Participatory democracy, direct action, radicalism, student power, shoestring budgets, and its organizational structure are all present in varying degrees in current American student activist groups. And Students Against State Violence, SASV, is an IU student organization aiming to dismantle systemic racism, sexism, and economic inequality. They are also focused on issues of poverty, incarceration, deportation, and militarization. The purpose of this organization is to build a movement against patriarchy, white supremacy, socioeconomic inequality, and imperialism while generating discussion, gen- raising awareness, and contesting these aforementioned, aforementioned problems. In the studio tonight, we have co-founders of both organizations. Stanley Zaguna is a sophomore at IU majoring in law and public policy. He is a co-founder of the IU Students for a Democratic Society, Secretary of the Education Committee for Students Against State Violence, a member of the IU Policy Debate Team, and a Protective Order Assistant slash Legal Advocate for Middleway House. Also tonight with us is Jacob Mills, who is a sophomore at IU majoring in Environmental and Sustainability Studies. He is the other co-founder for Students for a Democratic Society, and likewise an active member in Students Against State Violence. Jacob's prior involvement with students for Bernie Sanders transitioned to a more radical local grassroots action following the conclusion of the primary season earlier this year. And finally, Nick Grevin is a master's student in Latin American and Caribbean studies at IU. He is an outreach secretary for students against state violence. He studies the war on drugs, U.S. military intervention, and social movements. Nick earned his bachelor's in history at IU. With that, Stanley, Jacob, and Nick, gentlemen, welcome to Bring It On. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you for having us. We are so glad you're with us this evening. Um, Wanted to start out by letting each one of you um, explain 
you know, two things that are very related. And one is how you came to become, you know, how you came to be student activists, right? What was the path that kind of led you to this place that you now find yourself? And why was it that you either helped to found or got involved with the particular organizations that you're here representing tonight? You can decide to go in whatever order pleases you. <laughs> All right, I guess I'll go first. Um, I had always grown up, thanks to my father, with a an awareness of political issues and the relevance of current events and, and global issues. Um, but I hadn't really been active um, in any sort of like politically based action until the Bernie Sanders campaign came around. Um, and I was compelled to be involved with that movement because I felt like he was a politician that wasn't really like the politicians that we're used to seeing. Um, and, and the experience that I had with his campaign really transformed a lot of things for me. I actually ended up changing my career course because of being involved. Um, but after you know, experiencing all of the corruption of the Democratic Party and, and how the establishment treated um, such an authentic movement as Bernie's, uh, I really began to not put all of my eggs in, in the political establishment. I generally don't have, like our group has no loyalty to either major party, um, and I generally don't put very much faith on either, either major party. So after he conceded the nomination, we felt like we needed to do something to keep students engaged uh, and galvanize that same grassroots action and passion that Bernie generated um, on a grassroots level. So that's how you found yourself helping to co-found SDS mm -hmm. 2.0, as you told me back in the SDS summer. SDS 2.0, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Jacob, what about yourself? Um, sure. Um, my experience is somewhat similar to Stanley's. Um, growing up, I remember my dad put on the Woodstock tapes, which is kind of a goofy way to get in introduced to, to social action. But I guess that, that was kind of my introduction to the social movements of the 60s. Um, and so following that, I became interested in just like the, the, the cultural relevance of those things and explored that a while. And then um, was kind of quiet until um, the Bernie campaign as well, which I worked with uh, Stanley on. And then just as I went through that and encountered a lot of people, a lot of the conversations I had um, were conversations about things beyond um, what we were trying to address with certain campaign or with certain talking points of a campaign or something like that, and more into conceptual, theoretical um, concerns about how the system works. And so that really inspired me to move forward and help and help co-found uh, SDS. And then um, around the beginning of this year, uh, me and Stanley sat down with Nick, talked a little bit about what Students Against State Violence was doing, um, and, and, that, and that drove me to become involved with them as well. So that um, could definitely be, you know, on the on the forefront of what was going on with with these issues on campus. Well, what was it about the first sort of iteration of SDS that led you to think that this is what? That's why I was like curious, like why is it SDS that you've chosen to co-found and not some other organization, right? What was it about those, that group of activists and that particular iteration back in the 60s that drove you to say, this is what we need to see again today? I think we, both of us really realized the striking, um, the, uh, the similarities between the issues that SDS was organizing and engaging with, such as the civil rights movement, uh, a movement for workers' rights, um, the women's rights movement, um, 
the movement against the prohibition of marijuana and how all of those still apply today, actually in, in enhanced relevance with the war on drugs and things of that nature. Uh, so we were like, they were students, we were students, it was a national movement, uh, let's think big, let's not contain ourselves to the confines of whatever is possible within our Republican-controlled Congress, and um, let's really, really leverage the people's power to create a society that we all want to see. Nick, you're up. How did you get here, and why SASV? Uh, I got involved in student activism uh, around environmental issues in high school, and then sort of that led into uh, being involved in organizing against the Keystone XL pipeline back when that was a major national issue, um, which it may again be soon, now that Trump's been president. Um, and then the Occupy movement happened, and I got involved with that, and since then have sort of been looking for ways to organize on a more, I guess I, I just, I learned a lot from those experiences and have spent a lot of time thinking about how to organize effectively in the um, movement setting. And then a few years ago, back in 2014, when um, Ferguson, the Fer uprising in Ferguson happened, and then also that same year, there was just a really intense bombing of the Gaza Strip going on, and also that's that same summer the, was when there's sort of a major influx. They got a lot of news of undocumented minors. Um, and I was, you know, just with the other students who I was you know, friends with and had been working on other projects with, um, we decided to form an organization. And that's where SASV sort of originated. Um, it's changed a lot in form and content and people who are involved. It's much larger and more sort of ambitious um, and well-organized now than it was three years ago. I'm Stanley and Jacob. Uh, I found it uh, interesting that when you two were talking about how you got started, the very first thing you mentioned were your fathers. Your father introduced you to activism, and your father put on a uh, Woodstock uh, tape, which is a national anthem for a lot of people from that era. But how exactly, how active uh, were your parents, and, and what did they do? What kind of activism uh, uh, did they practice? I mean, they were, my, my household was always at least vaguely political in the conversations that happened there. The, I mean, my parents were, you know, they were pretty hard-headed Democrats and, and had pretty staunch views in that way, but uh, weren't really on the organizing front um, as far as I know. Um, and so I, I guess I just kind of um, was inspired by the... Um, the, the actions that I had gained from other things that they might have introduced me to. But, yeah, I mean, I, there, was, there was definitely political conversations that always happened in my house for quite a long time. So your parents were not directly involved in activism, but they did sort of uh, familiarize you with it. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, they definitely familiarized me with uh, left-wing politics to a certain extent, and then okay. I kind of snowballed from there. I think a really defining point in my awareness uh, and awakening was uh, when I lived with my father when he was a, uh, we went back to school, became a student at Ball State University. He was president of the uh, African Students Association. And they didn't organize a ton of political action, but um, my dad actually had me campaign with him uh, when he campaigned for Obama. Um, I, was, I was about 12 years old, and, and I really like reflecting on that. But it was mainly um, 
just him creating an environment in the home where academia was encouraged, where um, the the relevance and the importance of knowing history um, and politics was always, always encouraged. my, my, I always tell people, my dad put the people's history of the United States in my hands when I was like 13. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so I'm definitely very, very indebted to him for, for all of that. But he was just very, very, um, in some ways, almost strident about <laughs> how, how much I valued history and, and politics. So, you know, all of us, we, we had asked you to be on the show about a month ago before anyone knew where we would be on the 14th of November, um, Mm -hmm. almost a week after uh, the most recent presidential election. Uh, And so, you know, I said right before the show started that I think that it's even more important that you're here tonight. And I know that you have been doing a number of different actions, demonstrations, teach-ins, workshops on campus, both different organizations. Um, And I know SASV has a great system where they've got different teams that work on education versus activism, you know, sort of other sorts of things. I guess in this moment in time that we now find ourselves in Bloomington, right, on the IU campus, as well as in America, do you see yourselves or or your organizations changing tactics necessarily or changing uh, what is now going to sort of become the main focus of your organizations? Like, has this election result sort of propelled you to start to rethink anything or is it or are you still committed to you know, sort of what you've already laid out um, and are working on. And and maybe you could just talk a little bit about the things we can expect to see from your organizations, right? I mean, just over the weekend, the news coming out from all over the country about the increasing wave of hate crimes, right, against Muslim women, against Latinos, against (laughs) African-Americans, here in our own, quote unquote, safe and sleepy small town, (laughs) <laughs> swastikas and the KKK logo spray painted on the Beeline Trail. Mm-hmm. Um, so clearly, right, everyone's talking about this is Trump's America now. And so since it is, quote unquote, Trump's America, yeah, if you can kind of start from that point and think about do things change? Do they not change? Where do you what do you see the organizations doing in the weeks and months and years coming up? OK, well, I'll go for SDS. Um <laughs> SDS's goals and values haven't been changed um, by Trump. Uh, and I would actually like to say that it's not Trump's America. Trump is simply the president. I believe America still belongs to, to the people like us. Um, oh, so, I agree. <laughs> right, right. So the only thing that's really going to change is um, the emphasis and the vigor with, and the urgency mm-hmm. by which we do things. Uh, SDS has for a long time, uh, I say a long time, but we've only been together for a completed the conversion for a couple of months, but we've wanted to put together a progressive student revolutionary coalition with like all of the like-minded groups on campus. Like we are, right now we have f- partnerships with Reinvest IU, uh, Students Against State Violence, Urban Needs and Teacher Education, uh, Against Prohibition, mm-hmm. and uh, we're expanding and expanding. I think the Trump presidency and the, the real consequences and darkness that is in front of us will be in some way, a really good way to keep the pressure on, mm. uh, to get people out of their dorms, out of their homes, and into the streets. Yeah, similar, I would like to say just like, to me it's not so much Trump's America, as just America, and what he's brought out is, you know, maybe the 
the reality of what America is in a way that was masked for a long time. Mm. And he's made it acceptable for a number of people. Acceptable, fashionable too. Oh yeah, right. Fashionable. I agree. Yeah. 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 And yeah, I I know where you're coming from with that. Um, But I think I think that our objectives with SASV have um, we're speaking to some of the issues that you know this moment is making much more clear. Um, You know, we are demanding um, that the IU Police Department be dissolved and that the money that's currently used for that be put into uh, scholarships for underrepresented minority students and low-income students, and that the Office of Student Ethics be made autonomous from the university administration, because as we see it, the, um, the Office of Student Ethics has a vested interest in covering up the sort of rampant sexual violence and other sorts of gendered violence mm. that happen at IU. Um, as long as it's beholden to the administration. Mm-hmm. And then also we, our third demand is for the um, general education requirements to be restructured so that people can't um, teach or graduate from IU without having to engage in like a serious analysis of race, class, and gender issues. Um, so I think those are still pertinent. Um, certainly, I mean, the Fraternal Order of Police... Um, you know, endorsed Trump. And I guess the only, the, the, we had a mass meeting last night and we had we agreed mm. to begin a um, process of adding a fourth demand, which is for um, IU to be, to join, well, to become a sanctuary for- I was just gonna ask you about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, please. Yeah. Some people may not know what that means, but to be a, become a sanctuary school or a sanctuary city. So please, that's perfect. Cause I was already thinking about asking you that. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the essential idea of it is that this would be a space where immigration enforcement is not allowed to operate. Um, how that would play out exactly um, in terms of like what sort of forces we would be involved in preventing immigration enforcement from operating in a given space is you know, an open question. But to be the sort of beginning step that we've been talking about is getting IU, which is a major state institution and has a great deal of political power, to you know, announce that it won't cooperate with um, Homeland Security or ICE um, in trying to deport the. So this would mean protecting undocumented students. Undocumented right? students, and also, you know, Trump is planning on has stated that he's planning on cutting the the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program and um, ending the refugee program, and also cutting various visa programs that apply to you know a lot of people who are here studying from other places. Mm-hmm. There are a number of cities uh, that have already declared themselves to be sanctuary cities, New York and Chicago, among others. Um, and ju- I don't know if you know, but just today, Trump announced that there will be severe sanctions placed against any city or institution declaring itself to be a sanctuary. So the battle is heating up, right? Mm-hmm. Please. Go ahead. Well, I just want to be careful because, like, Chicago, no matter what Ron Manuel says, is not a sanctuary for undocumented people. So just. Oh, he, he declared Chicago a sanctuary he city? He did. He did. He said it will remain a sanctuary city. It's never been will a sanctuary. Remain. So I'm, I'm kind of curious. By definition, hmm. sanctuary cities are illegal. Hmm. So where do you draw the line? And, uh, 
and and protesting and uh, trying to get that to get that changed. I mean, do you force yourself to engage in Ill illegal activity if you support illegal activity? I mean, are you asking me specifically? Oh, I think the question is Anybody. probably just generally to everybody who wants, anyone yeah. who wants to answer. It's an interesting mm -hmm. question. Sure. I mean, I think we're, we're, we're talking about here specifically with, with sanctuaries um, for undocumented people is a, a matter of life and death in most cases. Um, that can, I mean, d that, you know, can look like many different things depending on if the person's a refugee or, a, you know, a, a, an undocumented student or, um, you know, it, that, that, could, that could manifest in many ways. But we're looking at a, a matter of life and death and a matter of, of institutional violence against these folks. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think in that case, I mean, I personally am willing to to um, suggest ideas that are in violation of the law if it means if it means, you know, action that works to protect those people from the from that, you know, uh, violence. And I think we also always have to be conscious of the fact that legality is increasingly susceptible to whoever is in power throughout history in, in the United States. It was um, it was illegal for black people to vote. It was illegal for women to own land. It, it, the final solution in Germany was completely legal. Um, mm -hmm. the, we, we always have to make sure that we, um, from a democratic perspective, can keep morality and ethics above the power of the state if the state chooses to do wrong. I was just thinking about the fact that segregation was legal for a long time yeah, too. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's probably the best answer that anybody could come up with, you know, because it's like you said, slavery was legal. Right. They, 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 they broke the law. Right. Uh, to change but you the protest law. the things that are immoral and mm -hmm. evil in order to change the law. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Just because something is legal does not make it ethical. Exactly. Mm -hmm. right. Absolutely. Uh, Stanley, I wanted to ask you another question. Mm -hmm. You mentioned something about uh, corruption of the within the Democratic Party. Mm -hmm but you said you, you don't have allegiance towards any party. Right. So why did you single out the Democratic Party when corruption is, is uh, obviously exists in both parties? Right, right, of course. Uh, I mentioned the Democratic Party because um, it was, I think, the most that I embraced the party when I was engaging with the, the Bernie campaign um, was, was the most interaction that I had with the party. And yes, uh, corruption is a systemic issue across the right. U.S. government, regardless of whether you're a politician or you work in an administrative agency. But um, I think it was crucial, and especially um, in the context of what happened on Tuesday, um, to mention that because the consequences of elitist establishment liberalism that tries to cozy up to the same institutional forces that we don't like, like big pharmaceutical companies, like private prison corporations, like banks, um, and then try to sort of cajole us into supporting them with topical identity politics, uh, I think we've seen the consequences of that. And we really have to now form something that's real and authentic. Topical identity politics. Did you just make that up? Uh, yes. I think that's, that's, that's going to stick around. I, mean. <laughs> I, I told you that you needed to watch out for, the, <laughs> for actually, for all three of them. <laughs> After I heard Stanley speak in July, I was like, oh, here's someone for me to keep my eye on I'm in a, a good believer, way. Right? In a good way. <laughs> So I'm just curious, like, um, I know that there have been a number of, like I said, you know, sort of meetings and um, actions um, over the last few months. 
Um, you know, many of you have been um, vocal about your support of the water protectors, right, at Standing Rock, um, and like <laughs> no no pipeline building in North Dakota. Um, you have made alliances with a number of different organizations on the campus, uh, hopefully Feminist Student Alliance Association as well. Um, have you been reaching out off campus into the community and making sort of building bridges to community organizations to make sure that, because I think sometimes we, in a college town like uh, Bloomington, it can be really easy to sort of have this town-gown divide. Mm -hmm. And I know that, at least for myself, one of the things that I've been really committed to over the last three years is build sort of, you know, breaking down those barriers and bringing the work in the community to the campus and vice versa, because we have different gifts and skills and resources in both locations and together we're so much stronger. And so I'm wondering if you've been building those networks um, with community groups and in what ways? I mean, I think we're, we've definitely been starting to reach out to specific groups within the community. Uh, yesterday, there was the, there was a rather large um, kind of community organizing rally at Sample Gates with a few hundred folks there, both from student organizations, community organizations, and anyone interested in getting involved. And so I think that was a great opportunity for um, all of us to get in one space and hear what we're up to. Um, I think some of the barriers that we've had to community um, interaction thus far have been just largely uh, dealing with the issues that we're specifically addressing. Um, I mean, specifically, if we look at like students can stay violence, most of these demands are focused on on campus issues. And so, um, and that's the main driver for the work, the work we're doing this, this year is. So I think that that has been somewhat of a barrier to f find out how, you know, the community um, can contribute to that discussion. But one, one issue where we have, um, tried to move out into the community is uh, dealing with the issue of um, policing and social cleansing that's happening in downtown right now with mm. um, Mayor Hamilton's uh, Safe and Civil Cities project, which is essentially a, a, an attempt to displace the um, people experiencing homelessness from People's Park downtown in order to, you know, uh, keep up a certain aesthetic that, you know, f favors those, you know, um, wealthy out-of-state students who come, you know, maybe on college visits to in, uh, IU to see if they want to end up sending their kids here. And then, um, you know, they go to lunch on Kirkwood and perhaps they see, you know, uh, someone experiencing homelessness and then they decide that they don't want to put their economic, um, you know, resources into IU. And so we see that, that, um, that conflict of interest, I guess, or that, um, that, or just that, I guess just the interest of IU that is um, having such a damaging effect on, on these populations downtown um, and throughout Bloomington and the way that that's affected, you know, the increased surveillance and increased police funding for dealing with these issues and um, increased police violence in turn. Um, so I think that's one issue where we're, where there's definitely um, interaction, direct interaction between the university and the community in a way that's um, actionable with the things that we're dealing with. So that's mm -hmm. that's one thing we've begun to address. Nick, what about SASV? Are there any um, sort of community partnerships that are beginning to develop or have already developed? Yeah, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, we, last year actually SASV, the uh, um, sort of outreach committee of SASV formed an organization called the Bloomington Solidarity Network um, which is now 
a separate entity that's more focused on um, issues in town. Uh, but the purpose of the Bloomington Solidarity Network is to help tenants and workers who are experiencing abuse from their bosses or landlords um, to help them, you know, fight their bosses and landlords. <coughs> so a lot of people who are involved with SASV also participate in those actions when the Bloomington Solidarity Network organizes them. And we have, we're making efforts to reach out to different community organizations like just Jacob has been talking with Bloomington United, which I think is a new uh, forming organization. And I just also wanted to mention that the issue of disbanding or dissolving the IU Police Department is relevant for people outside of campus also. The IU Police Department has jurisdiction throughout Monroe County. Um, we have four different police organizations that have authority in Monroe County. Yes, exactly. Four. We <laughs> may be one of the tiniest and yet most policed <laughs> locations police. ever. Yeah. Between the state troopers, the Monroe County Sheriff's Office, Bloomington PD, and IUPD, all of which carry guns, right? right. Mm -hmm. yeah. Just making sure that I wasn't incorrect about that. Yeah, hey, I carry one too. <laughs> 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 okay, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, I think uh, early early on, I heard one of you guys uh, say that uh, Donald Trump's presidency does not cause you to change your strategy at all. But my question is, now one of you guys said that, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, it was Stanley. My question is, considering <coughs> Donald Trump's raw racism, sexism, uh, his appointment of Steve Bannon as his chief of staff, mm -hmm. Uh, Rudy Giuliani is probably going to be the attorney general. I mean, this is stop and frisk in chief. Yes, sir. How does that not cause you to change or either up your game if you're going to address, uh, you know, these issues un under Donald Trump presidency? It's because our target was always, always beyond Donald Trump. So, I mean, whatever it takes uh, whatever means necessary that is required to prevent or defend against any actions that he could take regardless of whether you know Steve Bannon's chief strategist of the White House or Rudy Giuliani's attorney general we were already willing to to take those actions we were already going to organize people to d do to the, take it to that extent if necessary mm -hmm. so I mean the the only thing that has changed is um, how, how vigorous and uh, radical we're going to be. So, Okay, we got about three minutes left, so one minute apiece. Sure. I was wondering, have you been reaching out to organizations on other IU campuses or other university campuses across the country, period, in, in terms of thinking more broadly about coalition building and building a student movement within the state or all, perhaps across the region or the nation? Because I just, when I think, when I hear SDS, that's one of the things that I think of mm. right away. So, um, yeah, we have about three, two minutes left now, so maybe everybody can <laughs> chime in and then we can wrap up. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, the, um, the Collective Cause Initiative uh, and the Progressive Student Coalition is open to all groups on IU's campus uh, that seek to fight the um, economic inequality, racial inequality, uh, gender-based inequality, and imperialism. Um, so that's, that's, I mean, that's an appeal to all groups. Um, we hope to get more women and more queer folk into our ranks, especially. Um, but yeah, uh, and, and then we're going to be doing the, the same thing in, in the community with, with other groups. Oh, so yeah, no, I meant other university campuses in the state or perhaps in 
other states. We, right. ha- we haven't really gotten to the the university across the state level yet. Okay. Um, yeah. But that's definitely something that will be in our sites. Time, huh? yeah. mm-hmm. Oh, no, yeah. Just, just a thought I had about whether or not we've taken this to the next level in terms of reaching out to like-minded students at other campuses. Yeah. Nick? Yeah, so I don't, we don't necessarily have explicit partnerships with uh, organizations at other university campuses, um, but we do have, we are like, we have connections to um, the Black Lives Matter organization in Indianapolis and immigrant organizers up there also, and we're trying to right. sort of deepen those connections. Any last minute thoughts? Any, any no? Yeah. Well, you know, we, we always say we uh, would love to have you guys back, but this time we really mean it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, just, we just simply ran out no, that, of time, that's and I had several ab- more questions. Absolutely true, because I think we could have probably gone yeah. for another half hour, mm-hmm. but um, I just really want to, you know, from myself, but really from everybody here, uh, but personally just wanted to thank uh, Stanley Jaguna, Jacob Mills, and Nick Grevin for joining us tonight and enlightening our listening audience about IU's Students for a Democratic Society as well as IU's Students Against State Violence. Thank you all so very, very much for being with us this evening. What she said. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Bring It On has an open submission policy, so if you have an idea for this program, we would like to hear it. You can send your emails to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We would like to make sure that we share any and everything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. That email address, once again, bring it on at wfhb.org. Support for WFHB comes from Chris Hawley, attorney at law, helping families prepare for Medicaid eligibility for long-term nursing home and at-home care. Your guide through the Medicaid maze, 812 312- Three three five eight two nine four or medicaidguide.com. Support for WFHB comes from Bloomington Clothing Company, offering one-of-a-kind style in women's clothing, home decorating, and more, located at 2664 East 2nd Street in Bloomington. For more information, it's available by calling 812-345-2689.
Professor Griff, Kari Wynn, DJ Lord, and the SW1 Group. Formed on Long Island, New York in 1982, they are known for their politically charged music and criticism of the American media with an active interest in frustrations and concerns of the African-American community. They remain one of the most critically acclaimed bands in history. This is Bring It On, the People's Forum for Black Culture in South Central Indiana and beyond. Are you a tweeter? you're invited to follow the WFHB News Twitter account. This is a great way to get breaking news and updates on what's going on behind the scenes and on the air with WFHB News. Go to twitter.com and search for WFHB (coughs) News, or you can always visit WFHB's news website at wfhb.org slash news. Bring It On is Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community here on WFHB 91.3 FM and live on the web at WFHB.org. So it is time now to give you the latest perspective on the people, news, and issues affecting the black community. For Bring It On, I'm Amrita Myers. I'm William Hosea. And first up, President-elect Donald Trump has already revealed his plan of action for the first 100 days in the White House. His plan, which he mentioned during a speech last month in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, outlines three main areas of focus, cleaning up Washington, including imposing term limits on Congress, protecting American workers and restoring the rule of law. He calls his plan Donald Trump's contract with the American voter. And here's some of the things that he specifically said during his speech. First, Propose a constitutional amendment to impose term limits on all members of Congress. Can, can you see that happening, Amrita? We've been trying to do that for a while. <laughs> a five-year ban on White House and congressional officials becoming lobbyists after they leave government service. Hmm. He might have to actually rethink some of the people he's actually that hiring he's to his own, appointing to his own administration. Exactly. Then. A complete ban on foreign lobbyists raising money for American elections. Mm. And and he'll probably have to consider some of the people that are already there. Mm -hmm. Entrenched. (laughs) I will direct the Secretary of Commerce and U.S. Trade Representative to identify all foreign trading abuses that unfairly impact American workers and direct them to use every tool under American and international law to end those abuses immediately. Didn't he send a lot of his own work from his own companies out he, to Mexico? He owns Didn't he outsource? Yeah, he owns companies in Asia, too. Mm-hmm. And, and they ship the products back over here. Cancel billions in payments to U.N. climate change programs and use the money to fix America's water and environmental infrastructure. Now, this is what I'm really terrified about. This was the only nation to not sign off on the Kyoto climate Accord. Change, He's now yeah. threatening to pull out of the Paris Accord. We have the water protectors in North Dakota trying to stop the pipeline from crossing sacred territory and potentially destroying uh, the water in that region. I mean, it could affect millions of uh, people across the nation because that pipeline is going to go underneath the Missouri, right? Well, the second largest river system in the nation. If, if this goes through and he's appointed one of the most 
skept I mean, he's appointed somebody over the EA EPA who has already come out publicly and said that he does not believe in global warming or climate change. What this could do to the world, not just our nation, but to the world in, you know, in four years is just catastrophic to think of. And this is probably one of the most controversial uh, points that he made. Begin removing the more than two million criminal illegal immigrants from the country and cancel visas to foreign countries that will not take them back. Well, what he also said was that those two to three million people, if he cannot deport them, he will incarcerate them. Which says to me, how financially, how, is this, how does that even happen? I mean, the for-profit prison industry is probably clapping their hands and jumping up and down for joy. Well, enough of uh, Trump's first hundred days. <laughs> um, on another note, very sad um, to say that Gwen Ifill, veteran journalist and newscaster who co-anchored PBS NewsHour, has died. Um, that story just broke today. Eiffel, who was 61, broke gender and racial barriers and became a role model for journalists across the nation. She had been battling endometrial, endometrial cancer while covering this year's presidential election. PBS said in a statement that she died Monday while surrounded by family and friends. She was one of America's leading lights in journalism and a fundamental reason public media is considered a trusted window on the world by audiences across the nation. So I know that, William, you said before the show started that, that was something that just really broke your heart to, to hear about that today. And it's still broken. Mm. That was a look at African-American headline news from around the world for this week. Tune in again next week for the latest news on and for the African-American community. We want to know what you think of current black issues. Please send your comments to bring it on at WFHB.org. Uh, and I'm Amrita Myers. You're listening to Bring It On, Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community here on WFHB 91.3 FM on your radio and live on the web at WFHB.org. Support for WFHB comes from Bloom Magazine. The editors of Bloom Magazine believe local businesses are in danger by online shopping and they encourage you to shop locally. More information is available at magbloom.com. When the glory comes, it will be ours. It will be ours. Oh, one day when the war is won, we will be sure. We will be sure. the heavens no man no weapon formed against yes glory is destined everyday women and men become legends sins that go against our skin become blessings the movement is a rhythm to us freedom is like religion to us Justice is juxtaposition in us Justice for all just ain't specific enough One son died, the spirit is revisiting us True and living, living in us Resistance is us That's why Rosa sat on the bus That's why we walked through Ferguson with our hands up When it go down, we woman and man up They say stay down, and we stand up Shots be on the ground, the camera panned up King pointed to the mountaintop, and we ran up One day when the glory comes, it will be ours, it will be ours, oh.
every man, woman, and child Even Jesus got his crown in front of a crowd They march with the torch, we gon' run with it now Never look back, we done gone hundreds of miles From dark roads, heroes, to become a hero Facing the league of justice, his power was the people Enemy is lethal, a king became regal Saw the face of Jim Crow under a bald ego The biggest weapon it's to stay peaceful, we sing Our music is the cuts that we bleed through Somewhere in the dream we had an epiphany Now we right the wrongs in history No one can win the war individually It take the wisdom of the elders and young people's energy Welcome to the story we call victory The coming of the Lord, my eyes have seen the glory One day, when the glory comes It will be Glory by Rapper Common and recording artist John Legend. Glory was released in 2014 by Columbia Records. It was the theme song from the film Selma, which portrays the 1965 Selma to Montgomery marches. In the movie, Common co-starred as civil rights movement leader James Bevel. It's time to bring you the events of interest in the black community for Bring It On. I am William Hosea. And I'm Amrita Myers. So we have two events for you today. Yes, we do. Um, first up is the NAACP The Soul Cabaret, which will be taking place on December 2nd at Wilkie Auditorium. The Soul Cabaret will serve as the kickoff for the NAACP's annual Adopt a Family initiative. Our goal is to raise funds in an effort to support a family in the Bloomington-Monroe County community this holiday season. The cabaret will feature local and student artists, including singers, instrumentalists, poets, and dancers, who will render solid entertainment throughout the duration of the program. Tickets will be sold in advance for $5 and at the door for $7. VIP tickets will be available for $10. What, may you ask, does a VIP ticket get you? VIP guests will have reserved seating in addition to receiving a gift slash keepsake to take home. For more info, please contact the Neil Marshall Black Culture Center at 812-855-6476. And this is the IU chapter of the NAACP sponsoring this event, correct? I, I believe so. you are uh, correct, I, I yes. Think it is. Next Generation Who's Your Educators scholarship application process is now open. The Indiana Commission for Higher Education is now accepting applications for the Next Generation Hoosier Educator Scholarship at learnmoreindiana.org slash nextteacher. Let me read that again. learnmoreindiana.org forward slash 
next teacher. High-achieving Hoosier students interested in teaching must be nominated by a teacher or school administrator and submit a student application by 31 December 2016. The scholarship provides up to $7,500 each year of college for students who commit to teaching in Indiana for five years after earning their degrees. To qualify for the scholarship, students must either graduate in the highest 20% of their high school class or earn a score in the top 20th percentile on the ACT or SAT. To continue earning the scholarship in college, students must earn a 3.0 cumulative GPA and complete at least 30 credit hours per year. Current college students are also eligible for the scholarship, but priority will be given to high school students. Visit learnmoreindiana.org forward slash next teacher for more information and to apply. So if you have an event or happening that you think the African-American community should want to know about, please send that info directly to the Bring It On staff. Or if you want additional information about a calendar item that you've heard tonight, you can contact us at bringiton at wfhb.org. So we would like to take a moment again to thank Stanley Jaguna, Jacob Mills, and Nick Grevin for joining us this evening in studio and enlightening our audience about IU's Students for a Democratic Society and IU's Students Against State Violence. Our show's executive producer is Clarence Boone, with help from WFHB News Department Director Joe Crawford. Our news editor is Michael Nolan. Tonight's board engineer was Anya Jenkins. Our original theme music was created by Jamil Effiam with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm William Hosea. And I am Amrita Myers. Be sure to tune in next Monday, November 21st at 6 p.m. for another edition of Bring It On, right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.